We've got to be the dumbest team in America. And history's team, Notre Dame. Here comes the Irish. See that? That's your IQ, buddy. Zero. Let's forget who we're playing this week and just write about how funny I am. <laughs> and then we'll have a good time. And we'll just we'll clown around every day. And I got some magic tricks I'll show you. Welcome back. The Clint Klaus Show. We're feeling soxy over here. I hope everybody had a very soxy week. Very, very soxy week. We have a ton to get to. Well, not in particular. We have this bear we have the Bears Packers matchup. We are going to preview that game. We're going to take a look at it. Take a look at the possible matchup that could be this Sunday and what could potentially not happen this Sunday as the Bears and Packers square off the NFL's longest running rivalry, a battle for the all-time wins list on the NFL all-time wins leaderboard. We're going to talk about all that game. We are going to continue our Chicago White Sox um, 2022 Feeling Soxy Awards season. We will get into the White Sox Rookie of the Year, the Feeling Soxy White Sox Rookie of the Year, and the White Sox Newcomer of the Year, the Feeling Soxy White Sox Newcomer of the Year. That is going to be on later in the show, so look out for that one as we are in awards season, we are going to be also, just for a future show reference, we're going to be having the top 10 great best moments of the 2022 White Sox season. We're also going to have the worst moments of the 2022 White Sox season. I'm sure both of those will be very fun. So those will be uh, future, future podcasts that will be coming out in the near future. But let's get right into it with this Bears-Packers matchup. A matchup of two pretty not really good teams. You have one team in the Bears that was essentially rebuilding. They're three and nine now. They have lost seven out of their last eight games. And things have not been looking very good in terms of the injury bug that has been hitting with the Bears. But on the contrary to that, the Green Bay Packers were a team that a lot of people thought was going to exceed the expectations and be a contender for the Super Bowl. They were a team that has won 13 games three years in a row and has lost in the NFC Championship game in twice of those years and got knocked out by the Robbie Gold and the 49ers. This year, they are the most demoralizing, disappointing team in the entire NFL, and I'm absolutely enjoying it. I am absolutely enjoying watching the Green Bay Packers' misery throughout the entire season just watching them lose, just be like, oh my God, they actually lost again. Like we could pretend like the Green Bay Packers are probably about as low as they have been since probably, you know, if you want to go back even further than the McCarthy days, you probably have to go back to 2005 with Brett Favre, the last year of Mike Sherman, when he was the coach of the Packers. I mean, the, we're going to talk about the big storyline in this matchup, but the main storyline that we, that I obviously have to get into is the possibility of whether Justin Fields plays on Sunday, because I think Justin Fields is really the significant difference between the bears chances of winning that game against the Packers and them losing that game against the green Bay Packers. We had a very great development in terms of his injury status this afternoon. It was reported by 
a number of Bears beat writers that he was a full participation after he had been limited over the past couple of days. You know, the, the timing of of this has been a little bit goofy. You know, Justin Fields has had been a limited participation in practice in the past couple of weeks. He has been dealing with a separated shoulder that has been plaguing him. And he didn't play against the New York Jets. Probably a, a very overall good decision. But what that game against the Jets basically revealed to everybody that has been about as obvious as everybody can tell is that that Justin Fields is basically the main is the Bears offense. He is the Chicago Bears offense. When you look at when the Chicago Bears offense was rolling and scoring 28 points a game. What was fun about that was that the Packers were also losing and looking like they they were looking like the Chicago Bears on offense. They were looking about as putrid as Chicago Bears offense has looked throughout most of the time of what I have seen. And then, you know, you have Justin Fields in the Chicago Bears offense basically performing out of its skis right now. It is Justin Fields gives the Bears a tremendous, tremendous advantage of them to win the game over somebody like Trevor Simeon, which, you know, you, I kind of wonder what's going on with Trevor Simeon. It looks like he injured his oblique. He did not participate in practice. You know, that was really kind of something that happened on Sunday. You know, he injured his oblique in, in, in the, uh, for, in warmups, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't talk properly in warmups against the jets. He suffered the oblique injury and basically gave, Chicago Bears nation and gave myself a scare that we were about ready to see Nathan Peterman take some snaps behind center for the Chicago Bears. That's something that I absolutely don't want to see Nathan Peterman. I don't want to see him in any single regular season game. And even if that means putting if Justin Fields isn't if he's at like 80 or 90%, I mean, that's better than 100% of whatever uh, Nathan Peterman has. It's, it's going to be, you know, uh, something that will definitely come out in the coming days. But right now, I mean, Justin Fields is really trending towards the direction of playing. And, you know, I mentioned this, you know, Justin Fields is basically the only reason to even be watching these Chicago Bears games this year. The defense is absolutely banged up. I mean, the secondary is probably going to get cut up like Swiss cheese. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is probably going to be having a field day. It looks like that he's going to play. He's been dealing with a thumb and a rib injury. We'll get to him and his ayahuasca loving loving self, but, but Justin Fields, you know, it's, it's definitely a significant upgrade. You know, I want to see him out there because this gives the bears maybe their best chance to beat the Packers in at least four years. I mean, since they clinched the division title in 2018, this gives the bears probably their best chance to beat the Packers in a long time. I mean, but you know, by looking at the fan base, I mean, selfishly, we, we as the Chicago bears fan base have just been getting demolished by the Packers time in and time out. I believe since 2009, the bears have only beaten the Packers three times, which is just, that's just embarrassing. Like this has just basically been a one-sided rivalry this entire time. Aaron Rodgers, you know, last year he had his moment at soldier field when he was declaring that he owns us, you know, he, he had that moment where he said, I still own you. I still own you. Well, guess what? The playoffs own you, Aaron Rodgers, because you can't seem to win them. Dunk, just dunked on Aaron Rodgers. But, you know, this obviously, you know, in terms of for the Bears offense, I mean, with Justin Fields playing, the offense has a significant upgrade. It's a it's a tremendous boost. I mean, I know they're not going to have Darnell Mooney. He's out for the rest of the season. Eddie Jackson is going to be out for the rest of the season. That's a huge blow 
or the defensive side of the ball that is, you know, got that made Mike White look like a Hall of Fame quarterback a week ago. And now they're going to be facing Aaron Rodgers, who is probably looking his licking his chops, looking at our Chicago Bear, looking at our defense and looking at how many points we're giving up week in and week out. I mean, especially after the Bears made the number of trades that they did. They traded Robert Quinn to the Eagles. They traded Roquan Smith to the Baltimore Ravens. And now you factor in with Jaquan Brisker, who's still in concussion protocol. I mean, I'm very concerned about that. Kyler Gordon is still on the injury report. It looks like that he's not going to play. And Eddie Jackson is going to be out for the rest of the season. I mean, the Bears defense right now looks like Jalen Johnson and just 10 guys that, I mean, Aaron Rod, I mean, this, oh my God, dude. I mean, I, I even talked about it. I mean, we, I even said it best. I was like, you know, we better beat the Packers because, you know, we were dancing on Green Bay's grave while they were just playing the worst brand of football that I think we've seen an actual Packers team play for about a decade. And even still, you know, the Bears still weren't winning the games. I mean, the Bears, I mean, we were scoring more points than the Packers, but we also weren't winning those games against Green Bay as well. I mean, you look at the wide receivers, it looks like Aaron Rodgers is starting to trust his wide receivers. I mean, Christian Watson looks like he is very, very fast. I'm not... Uh, that's kind of a little bit concerning, but you know, I'm very, what I've also kind of seen is that, and this is something that maybe, maybe happens with time, but you know, just hearing through the tea leaves of what I, what I see on the internet and what I hear on sports talk radio is that most Packers fans are, you know, getting ready to the point where they're getting ready to turn on Jordan love. They are not Jordan love Aaron Rodgers, And they want to see Jordan love out there. I mean, that's obviously something that, they're going to be very interested in. I mean, nobody's interested in seeing an Aaron Rodgers versus Trevor Simeon matchup. I mean, Jordan Love versus Justin Fields. I mean, you could probably talk yourself into that because that's like a, a future versus present sort of deal. And, you know, quite frankly, I don't think I don't think anybody in Bears Nation is ready to see that matchup, especially, you know, because Jordan Love would probably cook our our defense. That was just Jalen Johnson and 10 guys. But still, the Packers, I mean, I, I want the Bears to win this game. I want them to win this game. I, I think if Justin Fields plays, he gives them a a more, a better significant chance for them to play. Their chances to win, it obviously increases. I mean, you look at the line movement. I mean, I, I've just been looking at the line for this game between the Bears and the Packers, and it just kind of surprises me because Green Bay's only opening up as a four-and-a-half-point favorite. And that was with the possibility of Trevor Simeon or Nathan Peterman starting behind center. Now, obviously, if Nathan Peterman ended up ends up starting this game, which I don't think it's going to, depending on how Justin Fields progresses. But it seems like that he is trending towards playing that game against the Packers. And I mean, that's that's what I want to see. That's what the Feeling Soxy podcast wants to see. That's what Bears Nation wants to see, because they want to see. Justin Fields take down Aaron Rodgers. They want to see this Chicago Bears team because right now, I mean, this is this is our Super Bowl. This is Bears fans Super Bowl right now. I mean, we basically have been watching this Bears team. We've been watching Justin Fields progress and you you watch how this Bears offense performs and you almost kind of forget how, that they're losing the game not a good majority of the time. And, you know, you I want to see them start trying to create a culture of winning, try and find a way to get some more wins under their belt. But, you know, obviously when you look at this bears roster, this is a roster that in terms of the talent, it's nowhere near close to what 
the Green Bay Packers have right right now, and that's even with their depleted core at the wide receiver core. I mean, they still have two really good running backs in Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon. It's it's definitely a matchup I'm definitely scared of. You know, I'm um I want to see what this Bears team looks like. I'm not going to give a prediction because I hate giving giving out predictions, but I want to see the Bears play a close game. I want to see Justin Fields. You know, it's something that I've been saying the last couple of weeks. I want to see Justin Fields continue to progress as a passer because I feel like that's the one last step. That is the one final step between him be officially being the guy and him being on the doorstep of being the guy. I mean, everybody is like solely bought in on Justin Fields, this podcast included. And I mean, you can't really blame us. I mean, because us Bears fans don't know what a good quarterback looks like. I mean, you, I, especially me. I mean, I basically grew up with Jay Cutler being the statistically the greatest Bears quarterback of my lifetime. And people will shit on Cutler like he like was the worst quarterback of all time. But then if you pop in that 2004 Thanksgiving game with, with Jonathan, Jonathan Quinn and Craig Krenzel behind center for the Bears, I think they would definitely have a much different opinion about Jay Cutler. So I want to see what the Bears look like. You know, I'm very excited for that game. You know, hopefully, hopefully the Bears can squeak out a victory against them. And hopefully Justin Fields plays that game because he gives them a better chance of winning that game. So I want to see the Bears win. I want to see the Bears beat the Packers because, I mean, this is about as down as Green Bay is. And we don't want to blow this opportunity because you never know. You never know in the NFL next year, Green Bay could be right back to their old winning ways or Jordan love just ends up being the next great thing. Let's hold on. Let me just stop myself, but you know, let's, let's see what happens on this game. I'm very excited for this game. All right. Let's take a look at a couple of other NFL games that I am going to be having my eye on for this upcoming weekend. It's a huge slate of NFL games that have a couple of playoff implications. You have a battle of a couple of frisky teams squaring off, but I'm going to give you a couple of games that I'm going to be having my eyes on for this upcoming weekend. One game in particular, uh, and it's the most obvious one. It's the rematch of the AFC championship game. It's the Cincinnati Bengals against the Kansas city chiefs. This game is going to be in Kansas city. Obviously everybody fully remembers what happened last year when these two teams matched up in the playoffs you know, we had the matchup of week 16 where the Kansas City Chiefs blew the 14-point lead against the Bengals. And then the AFC Championship, Kansas City blew the 18-point lead against the Bengals on way to the Bengals going to the Super Bowl. And, you know, this is going to be a very explosive matchup. This matchup is going to be featuring a lot of points. Joe Burrow has definitely done a lot of progressing. He is definitely just continuing, continuing to show that he is a top five quarterback in this league, especially when you look at what he has done these past four weeks without Jamar Chase, his top wide receiver, without Joe Mixon, his best running back. You can make the argument that the Bengals have wide receivers on that would be easily number one wide receivers on a number of different teams. I mean, T Higgins would be the Bears number one wide receiver, no doubt. I mean, Tyler Boyd would probably be the Bears' number one wide receiver if you dropped him into the Bears' offense. I'm very excited for that matchup. It's going to feature a whole lot of points, a feature of two high-powered offenses. I wonder how much Jamar Chase is going to play in this game. You know, he's obviously dealing with a hip injury. He's been held out the last four weeks. 
but it's definitely, you know, Kansas City definitely has revenge on their mind heading into this matchup. But, you know, maybe it could be, this could potentially be a matchup where Cincinnati could just have, they just could have the, the Chiefs number. I mean, especially if they win on Sunday, which I think, you know, Kansas City, sometimes they try and get too cute on offense and they try and do this, you know, they try and make the, everything look so fancy. They want to make everything look look like, oh, hey, look at look at this little fancy play. I mean, you could definitely see where Matt Nagy got it from, but you know, I'm I'm very excited for that matchup. That's going to be a 325 start. I'm pretty sure everybody on CBS can be able to watch that game. So that's definitely a game that I will be having my eye on for this NFL Sunday. Another matchup that has playoff implications that I will be having my eye on is the Commanders and the Giants. And the Commanders have been probably one of my favorite teams to bet on. You know, Taylor Heineke is 6-0-1 against the spread this year since taking over for Carson Wentz. And I just feel like the Commanders have a sneaky good receiving core. I feel like they have, they sneaky have a, a ton of playmakers on their offensive side of the ball. I really like the running backs and Brian Robinson and Antonio Gibson. I really like... Uh, Jahan Dotson, the wide receiver. I really love Terry McLaurin. I mean, he is just an absolute burner. And this commander's offense, like you can really tell that they like Taylor Heineke. They get behind him. You know, they've been behind him the past couple of years. And, and you could just tell that the commanders really believe in what Taylor Heineke is. And, you know, maybe they buy him into the guy. You know, I'm a big fan of Ron Rivera as the head coach. You know, he was the former D.C. with the Chicago Bears. The, the commanders also have a really good defense. I mean, they are a sneaky actual good team. I mean, and then you look over at the Giants side of things. The Giants got off to that 6 and 2 start and they were the darlings of the NFL. You know, there was that one point where New York was, you know, people were talking about they were the football capital of the world because they had three teams that were 6 and 2. It was the Bills that were on the other side of the state in Buffalo and then you had the Jets who the Bears just played and then you had the Giants. Yeah, both of these teams at 6 and 2. I mean, the Giants it seems like their luck has kind of ran out. They lost a game against the Cowboys, even though they had a phenomenal backdoor cover. Shout out to them. Then they lost a game at home against the Lions, and then they lost to the Seahawks. I kind of wonder if the magic is starting to wear off a little bit for the Giants. You know, the Giants had a ton of comeback victories to start off the season, and now I kind of wonder if water is kind of starting to meet its level, even though the one thing that would concern me about this game is Daniel Jones does play the commanders extremely well. It seems like every time that Daniel Jones is playing the commanders, he's having a breakout game where he's throwing over 200 yards and is having a career day that that could potentially be a possibility going into Sunday. And, you know, this is one that could definitely set up some playoff implications for the NFC, especially if with the seeding wise. And if you look at the NFC right now, it looks, you know, all all four of the NFC East teams would be in the playoffs right now. So that is a NFL matchup that I'm going to be looking out for. And then a frisky matchup that I think everybody should try to watch is Jaguars Lions. Both of those teams are very fun. There's going to be a ton of points in that one. I feel like that's going to be an overfest. I don't know what the over is. I looked at it and it was 51. I will be hammering that over. I think there's going to be a lot of points in that game. And I just don't think that both defenses are particularly good. I mean, Trevor Lawrence basically had the performance of his entire of his entire career. And it looks like that he's taking steps in the right direction, developing as an NFL quarterback. All right. Um, conference championship weekend is here for college football. We have a big time matchup. You know, we have some, you know, we have a couple games where, you know, I think we already know the outcome of it. So I'm not going to touch on those games, Georgia 
and Michigan are both going to win rather easily. I think they will blow out both LSU. LSU does not have Jalen Daniels. And if they don't have Jalen Daniels, then their offense is basically one dimensional. And Purdue, I mean, Purdue is just lucky to even be in the Big Ten title game. I think they should just be blessing the high heavens that they even have an opportunity to even be playing in this game. I think Michigan, you know, even though they took, had a big blow today, Blake Corum is going to be out for the rest of the season. A big blow to their offense, but Donovan Edwards should step right in and really keep the explosive Michigan game running games running game going a couple of games. You know, I want to talk about this PAC 12 matchup, Utah against USC. Now USC is coming off three emotionally uh, charged up rivalries. They had that huge win on Saturday night, back to back, huge Saturday night wins. They could have been in a letdown spot against Notre Dame, which I thought was going to potentially happen. That's usually what happens most of the time in college games. After there's a big win for a college team, they usually come out flat a little bit the very next week. I don't think USC is that type of team. I think if they were going to, if they had the ability to even show to kind of sleepwalk through a game, they would have done it last week against Notre Dame. I think USC is going to be charged up for this game. This is a completely different USC team that played Utah a month ago. And this is a, quite frankly, a completely different Utah team that played USC in that game in Utah, which, you know, they were honoring their two dead teammates on their helmets. So, I mean, USC basically had no chance even before the game even started. I'm very interested to see how this game plays out. I think USC is going to win this game rather easily. Caleb Williams, I believe, is going to wrap up the Heisman Trophy. He'll have another fantastic Heisman performance. There's going to be points in this game. You know, I just wonder, you know, the same thing with Utah was the same thing that I wondered with Notre Dame going into last week's game is, are they going to be able to go toe-to-toe with a USC offense that could basically score at any point in time. I mean, Caleb Williams is just a tremendous playmaker. I'm very interested to watch. That game's going to be played on Friday night in primetime, and I, it's going to be very interesting. I believe that USC is going to come out of it, and I think the college football playoff is going to be set with the four teams that are going to be in. It's going to be Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and USC. That is what I think is going to be the playoff matchup going in. We are now moving on to our White Sox 2022 Feeling Soxy White Sox Awards. We are moving on to two more awards that we are going to be giving out on this podcast. So the two, if you guys have lost track at home, the White Sox Cy Young Award winner of the year. It was unanimous. It was Dylan Cease, the White Sox MVP. It was Jose Abreu. We gave him a parting gift as the 2022 first ever feeling Soxy 2022 White Sox MVP. It went to Jose Abreu. It, it was almost unanimous. You know, it was going to be a, a four-horse four race, but it inevitably went to him. It was my parting gift to him on the same day that he signed with the Houston Astros. So those were two awards that we had down. I also mentioned that we're going to be having our top 10 list of the top 10 best moments of the Chicago White Sox season. And that will be followed up by the top 10 worst moments of the 2022 Chicago White Sox season. That's right. We are going to be doing enlist and countdown season right around the corner. That'll definitely carry us throughout the rest of the season. So without further ado, why don't we jump right into the White Sox rookie of the year? So with this list, for the qualifications to qualify for this list, you have to, at the beginning of this year, 
be classified as a White Sox prospect and have not played more than 10 games. So our candidates for the White Sox Rookie of the Year, why our, our, we only have actually two candidates because there are really only two rookies that stood out to me throughout the entire 22, 2022 White Sox season. And it's going to be a co. I'm going to give it to a co, co-rookie of the year. I'm going to give it to two guys. One, I think, is a pretty obvious one, and one that I don't think anybody really saw coming. You know, when the season transpired, if you would have told me that Davis Martin would come out of nowhere, make a significant impact on the Chicago White Sox throughout the year, and I mean, Davis Martin, we are giving him the honor. He is our co-White Sox rookie of the year as we look at his record throughout his season he caught he played in 14 games started in nine games he made a spot start to, to make his major league debut in kansas city pitched pretty well in that one gate in that game against the kansas city royals in which he went five innings, struck out seven and had four ground balls and only 91 innings pitched he ended up losing that game two to one because the white Sox just could not give him any sort of run support for to save his life. As we look at his win-loss record, you know, three and six, tough, which is kind of tough. You know, two of his last three starts were a little bit tough. I think that was more of his workload was getting a lot more extended. They were getting a lot more. He was working, having uh, longer innings, having longer outings. He hadn't pitched this deep into a season for his entire career. But Davis Martin came out of nowhere, the 25-year-old right-hander from Texas Tech who was an unknown amongst White Sox prospects. He wasn't even ranked amongst the White Sox top 30 prospects going into this season. It wasn't until he made his debut and really became, I wouldn't say a household name, but he definitely saved the White Sox several times by pitching long innings, whether he was coming in in long relief or starting for an injured starting pitcher. Davis Martin did a pretty solid job for the most part coming in there and really helping the White Sox rotation when they needed it. I know he came up for spot spot, spot starts for when Michael Kopech was out for uh, about a couple starts that he was out. You know, Giolito missed the start when he was out with COVID. It seemed like every White Sox pitcher had succumbed to some sort of injury that was not named Dylan Cease. So our first co-White Sox rookie of the year, it's going to Davis Martin. He finished the year with a 483 ERA with a 3-6 and six record. Not really great, but... You know, he when you think about the fact that he was he was really a complete unknown going into this season and really kind of I wouldn't say shine. You know, I think his last couple last two or three starts were a little bit tough. You know, he got roughed up in the last game of the season against the Twins. And then I'm if my memory serves me right, he got roughed up against the Tigers. Um, one of the previous starts before. So Davis Martin, you are the congratulatory White Sox co-rookie of the year. The other one I'm giving to Jake Berger. Jake Berger, for one point in time, was the only White Sox hitter who was hitting home runs. He was the only White Sox hitter who was consistently hitting home runs. Now, when you factor in, you know, Jake Berger, obviously, we all know Jake Berger's story. It's a story that has been talked about on the podcast. You know, overcame two torn Achilles back-to-back that he suffered back in 2018 after... He was a first-round draft pick from the White Sox and really worked his way back, working his way back, working into independent ball. It seemed like at one point in time that Jake Berger was no longer 
going to be a major league baseball player. But at 26 years old, he really, he really showed out. You know, he had eight home runs and 26 RBIs and hadn't really seen a whole lot of significant action since he was injured. He suffered a hand injury in the middle of the season and was basically put on the shelf and in the minor leagues for the rest of the season. And he, you know, it's funny because at one point he was their most consistent home run hitter. He hit eight home runs between April and June when he was in the lineup. And he was, he was a very consistent hitter. You know, we had an episode, the Jake Berger home of the Jake home of the Jake Berger, little good, little good burger reference, but our co-White Sox rookie of the year, it's Davis Martin and Jake Berger. I'm giving it to Jake Berger because it's a well-deserved honor for him and what he had to fight back to get his way back to the major league roster. And granted, you know, the White Sox didn't really call him up anymore. You know, his, his third base is a little bit brutal, but you know, Jake Berger in terms of his bat at the play, at one point he was literally the only White Sox hitter who was hitting home runs. And at one point he was the team leader in home runs. He was in the top five for the White Sox team leader in home runs throughout the majority of this season because, I mean, there was a massive power outage with this team. And Jake Berger was able to really help supplement some of that power to try and make up for the lost power that they weren't getting from guys that were not in the lineup at that time. So if you guys are keeping track at home, we have our Feeling Soxy White Sox Rookie of the Year, and it's co-Rookie of the Years. It's Davis Martin and Jake Berger. So congratulations to you guys. You are the first ever White's Feeling Soxy White Sox co-Rookies of the Year. And now I'm going to transition into our second award. It is one that I think is a well-deserved one. It is the Newcomer of the Year Award. It is the White Sox Newcomer of the Year Award. Very different from the Rookie of the Year Award, which was what Davis Martin won, but I will include him on this next set of awards. So White Sox newcomer of the year is basically who is the White Sox came out of from a different organization and helped contribute to the Chicago White Sox season. I think this is a very, very easy one for me because I think you can really think back on the 2022 season and you can really think back on two key acquisitions that really helped this team and really kind of made it um, tolerable to watch them on a night in a night out basis. You also really loved how each of these two guys played the game of baseball. And we have, and we're also going to include a third guy. We have four candidates for the white Sox newcomer of the year award. So our first one is Josh Harrison. I know Josh Harrison, the guy who was basically the, the bane of um, a lot of White Sox fans ire. I, you know, I was not really a huge fan of it. You know, he was 35 years old. And through the first two months of the season, Josh Harrison was absolutely brutal at the play. He was batting, I believe, under 200. He was batting about 150. And he was well on his way to getting DFA'd. But Josh Harrison really kind of fought his way really back into having himself a decent season. You know, for a point in time, he was well on his way to getting DFA'd by the middle of June, but he really turned his season around to a respectable margin. You know, granted, I mean, it was not quite what they expected out of second base. He's still, you know, the White Sox are still looking for a second baseman going into the off season. But Josh Harrison was also a, I would say he was a, a stable guy. He was a good locker room guy. Everybody in the locker room seemed to like Josh Harrison. You know, when you look at Josh Harrison's numbers throughout the past season, they aren't particularly great, but con- comparing it to the start that he had, which was not particularly good, 
when you factor in that at one point in time, I believe he was batting like under under 100, but he finished up batting 256. He had seven home runs, 27 RBIs. And really, I mean, you basically got, I think the White Sox basically got what they got out of Josh Harrison. Now thinking back on it to the contract that they gave him. I mean, Harrison kind of lived up to the numbers of which a lot of people expected him to do. I mean, which is very hard seeing as how at one point it looked like that he was going to get DFA'd. So Josh Harrison, our first candidate for the White Sox Newcomer of the Year Award. Our next candidate is Kendall Graveman. Now, Kendall Graveman came in. He pitched in the most games that he has ever pitched in his entire career with the White Sox this past season. He had pitched in no more than 50 games in a season, and that was in 2021 or the previous year where he pitched for both the Mariners and the Houston Astros. Kendall Graveman was a, a failed starting pitcher who basically turned himself into a setup reliever while being with the Oakland A's. And basically the Oakland A's turned him into a pretty solid reliever, which he turned that into being the closer for the Seattle Mariners before he was unceremoniously traded to the Houston Astros the previous season. The White Sox signed him to a three-year, $18 million contract per year. So Kendall Graveman, actually, I think I have the contract numbers wrong, but Kendall Graveman signed on to a three-year deal. He had a 318 ERA. I know he had one game in particular that is probably going to be popping up on our top 10 worst White Sox moments. But for the sake and purposes of the awards, we are giving we are giving one Kendall Graveman. He is a candidate for the job. And now the two that are probably the most obvious ones and will probably be the two favorites for the White Sox newcomer of the year. And I think it's a pretty, pretty safe bet that these two guys were very beneficial to the White Sox success. And you could even make the, the point and argument that they really kind of helped the White Sox down the stretch, especially this guy. We'll start off with him. It's Elvis Andrews. Elvis Andrews was a, a, a scrap heap signing. He was a typical White Sox signing. You know, they sign a guy who's in his mid thirties that his best years are right behind him. But Elvis Andrews coming to the White Sox, it sparked something in Elvis Andrews that basically sparked him. And it basically lit a fire under this team for the last month of the season. Elvis Andrews played in every single game that he was a part of the White Sox. And you really think about it. I mean, Elvis Andrews wasn't even on the White Sox for the first three months of the season. The White Sox brought him in because they tried to go with internal options to replace Tim Anderson, who had injured his wrist and was out for the rest of the season. And they tried to go with the internal options of Lenin Sosa and Romy Gonzalez, which, <laughs> but uh, can I, I'm going to do a pause. Can I do a pause right here for the award ceremony? So they brought the White Sox brought in Elvis Andrews because Lenin Sosa and Romy Gonzalez were just not getting it done at the shortstop position. So why are they now deciding that, oh, it didn't work out at the shortstop spot, so let's try him again at second base. Like, that is just dumb process. The White Sox, again, just having dumb process with the way that they try and process, oh, hey, should we go out and get a, a second base option? I mean, I don't know. We have the internal options. It's, I don't know. It doesn't make sense. I feel like they already went this route before with the shortstop position, and now they're trying to do it again with the second base position, and... I just don't think it's going to work out. So back to Elvis Andrews. Elvis Andrews was like a breath of fresh air when he joined the White Sox. He was released by the Oakland A's in May, in August, 
and by the time he joined the White Sox, he played in 43 games. He played the first 106 games with the Oakland A's. He was a former Texas Rangers shortstop great. He has won a couple of gold gloves at that spot. He was a mainstay for the Rangers at that shortstop spot. I know he had kind of a rough moment in the 2015 playoffs, but more people remember the Jose Batista bat flip than they do his errors. In the 43 games that Elvis Andrews was here, he played in 106 games with the Oakland A's. He batted 237, had eight home runs, and 30 RBIs. Okay. And he had a OPS of 673. In the 43 games in which Elvis Andrews played with the White Sox, and this is why I'm including him in this category, he hit nine home runs, 28 RBIs, while also batting 271, 309, and 773 OPS, and an OPS plus of 116. Elvis Andrews basically was carrying the offensive load, and his defense was just absolutely spectacular. I mean, his de- his short his defense at the shortstop position was a, really a breath of fresh air when he came in. I know Tim Anderson is a great shortstop, but Elvis Andrews made a number of plays during his 43 games that he was with the White Sox that really kind of made you kind of go, I mean, I, I don't think Tim Anderson makes that play. You know, does Tim Anderson catch that ball? Is he able to make that swipe tag on? I mean, who knows? I mean, Elvis Andrews really came in and he helped spark a White Sox team that was uh, still floundering. I mean, they were still kind of fighting for the playoff spot, but Elvis Andrews day in and day out was a consistent contributor. And, you know, I loved how he played the game of shortstop and really helped solidify this starting lineup. You know, they stuck him at the first spot. He really held down the shortstop position, just much like Tim Anderson did. I mean, it was a breath of fresh air having having Elvis Andrews in there and really goes to show you that the White Sox do have pretty good major league scouting when they decide to go that route of getting proven major league players. And our final candidate, I mean, you you knew that I wasn't going to exclude this guy from the White Sox uh, newcomer of the year award. It is Johnny Cueto. It is Johnny Cueto. He is our final candidate of the four. And Johnny Cueto, I mean, he came in on April the 4th. He was signed very late, like right before the season even started. He wasn't even signed with a major league roster yet. And the White Sox signed him to a one-year, $4 million minor league contract because their pitching depth they failed to really address in the offseason. They let Carlos Rodon walk for essentially nothing. And then Lance Lynn got hurt in spring training. That forced them to really go out there and try and sign Johnny Cueto. And, you know, he he wasn't on the White Sox for the first, like, month and a half. You know, he kind of had to ramp himself up pitching games in the backfields of the mine of the spring training facility. And then eventually he was able to work himself into the minor leagues. And when he looked at his minor league numbers, I mean, he was kind of just trying to get himself loose and getting his arm ready. So his ERA really going into that, you can really kind of excuse and not really kind of look at that and say, cause I looked at the ERA and I wondered, Hey, you know, what's, what's this, what's Johnny Cueto going to look like? Is Johnny Cueto going to, help solidify the position because you know at that time the White Sox really needed guys to eat up innings you know yeah Dallas Keuchel going up in there pitching batting practice every other day you know Dylan Cease was really starting his ascent Lucas Giolito I mean this was kind of the start of his little inconsistent roller coaster season and Michael Kopech you were basically getting pretty good production out of Michael Kopech in terms of the starting position but 
you know, the White Sox needed the starting pitching depth. They needed to add some depth pieces. And Johnny Cueto was really that one guy that I think a lot of people had doubts of what Johnny Cueto could do. But then you look at what Johnny Cueto did throughout the year. The White Sox, I feel like, got every ounce of baseball. What's the proper word? They got every ounce of pitching juice out of Johnny Cueto this past season. And it really contributed. I mean, you think about how many times that I have been on this podcast and have basically shown my appreciation for Johnny Cueto, where it's like, you know, Johnny Cueto does it again. I mean, this guy is basically saving our bullpen every single time. And he did every single time. I believe there was only when I look back at his pitching numbers, you know, 2022, he had a three, he had a 3.5 war with the white Sox, a three thirty five ERA and an eight and 10 record with the white Sox. really helped solidify that that spot in the rotation. He started in 24 games and he had the one game where Michael Kopech got hurt and he had to go in there and eat up some innings. That was a Sunday. That was a Sunday fun day against the Texas Rangers. That was when the White Sox pitching staff was really banged up at the time. You know, they had a lot of tired arms and Cueto was really the guy who went in there to really help save the bullpen. Like Johnny Cueto was an absolute beneficial member of the Chicago White Sox team. And when you think about the amount of starts that he had, you know, Every time Johnny Cueto took the mound for the White Sox in the 2022 season, I felt good about it. Like, I felt very confident that Johnny Cueto was going to get the job done. He was going to pitch six, seven innings, throw over 100 pitches, and shut down, well, I wouldn't say shut down, but really keep the White Sox in the game long enough until the offense would at least awaken up if the offense awoke during his starts most of the time. So I think without further ado... It is time that I announce the White Sox Newcomer of the Year Award, and it is a, a unanimous decision. It is Johnny Cueto. Johnny Cueto is an easy, easy answer for the White Sox Newcomer of the Year Award. As I mentioned, his numbers, he had a 3.5 war, which was good for the fourth highest war on the White Sox in 2022. He came in, he really ate up a lot of innings and really overexceeded the expectations that I think a lot of people thought that was going to happen. You know, I, I, especially even me, I didn't think that Johnny Cueto was going to put at least a half of what he gave the white Sox this year. I thought that this was going to be, I don't want to say it was going to be what I felt like it was one. It was one of these signings where we've seen the white Sox make these signings before where they're signing the guy who's way past his prime, but obviously Cueto came in, you know, he had that awesome start where he pitched a complete game shutout against the Houston Astros each time out. I mean, he was just absolutely dominant against the Astros. He was somebody that day in and day out, he was going to go out there and pitch seven innings, maybe not strike out a whole bunch of guys. I mean, Johnny Cueto is far from that pitcher that he was five years ago where he had the tremendous stuff. You know, he had, he has his timing, his motion, really throwing guys off. And I mean, I really appreciate Johnny Cueto because he really made doing this podcast a lot of fun whenever I got an opportunity to talk about a Johnny Cueto start. And usually Johnny Cueto starts usually went about the same. You know, he would go the distance. I mean, he went the distance a number of times throughout the 2022 season and really saved the bullpen a couple a couple of days and really saved some arms out there. You know, he was a very beneficial part. I know the bullpen wasn't particularly the greatest throughout the entire season, but Johnny Cueto really helped 
solidify and really save some arms in the bullpen. He saved and ate up a lot of innings for this White Sox team this year. And you can make the argument that he was one of the main reasons why the White Sox were able to stay among the 500 and really kind of stay in the in the baseball race for as long as they did. So the White Sox newcomer of the year award in our Feeling Soxy White Sox Julie Awards, it is Johnny Cueto. He is the first ever Feeling Soxy White Sox newcomer of the year award. It is Johnny Cueto. All right, and that is going to wrap up this edition of the Feeling Soxy podcast, the Quinn Klaus Show. Thank you for listening to the best one-man podcast in the entire Northwest Indiana region. Thank you for listening. Hit subscribe and listen to more episodes. You know, we had a pretty big week, so we'll be back on Sunday. We'll recap the Bears game. Hopefully, we're talking about a Bears win. Hopefully, hopefully, we're talking about a Bears win, but we'll see what happens. We'll also... Notre Dame probably will have their bowl game selected, so we'll see what bowl game they'll be in, and we'll see if the White Sox decide to make any moves. We'll have a touch a little bit on the preview of the NFC East. I will probably I will also start the countdown of the best moments of the 2022 Chicago White Sox season. That is definitely going to be fun. You don't want to miss that. So thank you for listening to this edition of the Feeling Soxy Clint Klaus Show. Have a good night.